You know, I, I think it's just curiosity. And I think the way that we are taught the instrument is with no curiosity. Like there's no thinking required. It's just, you go and you hear a prodigy playing Chaconne and it's amazing. It's so perfectly phrased, but who made those decisions, right? Like I, I just feel, and I have nothing but love for my teachers. Um, but I just that, felt like that was missing. There was very little asked of me to think. And I think as educators, the best thing we can do is to trust our students. Like just trust that they're smart enough to make a decision. And maybe it's wrong, but like let them make the decision and, and figure it out for themselves. And I think that approach to people just asking questions is going to totally change the trajectory of all of classical music because I think many people will say do I really want to be in an orchestra like is that really what I want um do I really want to be a professor do I really you know and I think that's just going to be a way to keep things fresh for a lot of people and I think also bring much more intention into the craft that was none other than the one and only Azima and this is musical therapy Grace, one of your hosts, your other host, John, is not here today. He's actually out seeing family, and I am stuck here in Austin working, but that's just how it goes sometimes. In any case, we're really excited to be back. You're probably wondering where we've been. It's been a busy few months. Back in February, Texas was hit with a crazy storm, and it literally shut down the state. I'm not even kidding you. We were without power for about four days. We were fortunate enough to stay with some friends who had power on a rolling basis. And it was it was wild. You know, there were people who were hit much harder than we were. And ever since then, it's just sort of felt like neither of us have been able to really catch a break. Somewhere in the last couple few months, John started a new position at his work that's come with a lot more responsibility, and I feel like I've just sort of been thrown into the fire of working. All of my work kind of felt like it picked up very suddenly, been recording a bunch, been teaching a bunch, playing and performing as much as I can, and as safely as I can, since we are still very much in the midst of a pandemic. Basically, We've really been struggling trying to find a balance between life and work. Can't really say that we've found it yet. Still very much in progress. And it's been a huge lesson for me, at least, in understanding how important boundaries are and how important it is for you to really set them with the people in your life. And I'm not even talking about people you work with. Work boundaries are important, but also setting boundaries in your personal relationships, whether that be with friends, family, your partner, all of that is so incredibly important and vital to make sure that you can keep your own peace. Something that I've been thinking a lot about recently is how we view work, you know, what it is and what it isn't. Being an artist, people assume that I just kind of sit at home all day playing my instrument. I'm always having fun. It's a good time. And that I don't work a day in my life because my hobby is my job. And that is just so far from the truth. 
there's so much that happens behind the scenes that people don't see and a lot of times it's not fun there's a lot of dirty work that kind of comes with being a musician that people don't always acknowledge this is something John and I have been talking about a lot lately you know he's gone through a work transition recently he has a strict schedule and you pop into his office he's like type 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 and away to his keyboard participating in a meeting and it looks like he's working you're like oh yeah he's working he has a job whatever you come see what I'm doing you know I might be hashing out a chord progression on my keyboard I might be working on a track I might be recording some content for my social channels or recording samples for a client and people will be like nah she ain't working she's just having a good time she's just kind of goofing off and that's not it that's not it at all there's so much that goes into the creative work that people don't see a lot of times I'm just even sitting in front of a computer corresponding with clients getting contracts out making sure that I'm up to date on everything now I bet you're probably thinking Grace get over it this is just how people with regular jobs treat artists and musicians but the truth is this is actually something that happens within our own industry we treat professors and orchestral players better than freelancers or artists who are trying to break the mold and do something different I've seen a lot of those people scoff at freelancers and artists who are trying to make ends meet and hustle hard because they don't share the same titles and roles and though that just needs to stop those attitudes need to go away. I'm really hoping that this pandemic has really taught us that nothing is guaranteed, that we cannot take anything for granted, and that if we really want to keep our industry growing, we gotta make some changes. And we really should be looking to those people who are stepping outside of the box, trying to create a new lane for themselves, and also open up our world for other people to experience. All this to say, I'm super excited to be able to share an example of somebody who has broken the mold and forged a whole new lane for herself and opened up the world of classical music to the general public. That's Azima. Her and I go way back. She was my roommate at Round Top in 2010 right here in Texas. And y'all, I'm not even kidding you when I say that she is one of the loveliest humans to ever grace our planet. She has an EP coming out this Friday, May 14th. So be sure to stream it, buy it, that would be even better. And if you want to connect with her on socials, find her at Azima, E-Z-I-N-M-A. So without further ado, this is Azima on Musical Therapy. saw you we were at round top together we were ribbing with janny in the shed in the shed always the shed yes it was the shed um and cc janny and sam decided that they were going to climb the roof of the round top concert hall and i vaguely remember cc and janny being in tears because they thought that they were going to get removed from the festival because <laughs> <laughs> there were some really upset old white dudes <laughs> that yeah the basically place. basically <laughs> and it's also funny because Janie is was it's you know kind of like perfect and so she's like on the roof in tears because she might get kicked I out know. it's so funny 
Oh my God. Can you believe that that was 10 years ago? Yeah, more exactly 10. We more than that, 11? 10 and a half. It'll be 11, I think, um, this summer, which is crazy. (laughs) Girl, the time is flying. It really is. Flying. It is going by so fast, but we are so honored to have you on our podcast today. It's been so amazing to see everything that you were doing and to watch your journey. I watched your documentary, bought it on Amazon, and John was just like, what did you just buy? It was like, I bought her documentary because research, and two, I'm going to support my friend because she has her own damn documentary, so. Oh, great, thank you. I haven't even seen it entirely. Really? I have, like, a very hard time like consuming the things like articles and like or listening to podcasts and I mean it's like so hard for me to to do it it's it's almost too vulnerable in a way especially because I feel like I I share so much and then it's like you like those mirrors that just zoom in on all your pores it feels like that you're like I don't want to know this (laughs) I just I just want to see like it's just a lot so i think a lot of people hate hearing themselves talk even for like 10 seconds so watching a whole documentary about yourself sounds um that's a lot it's interesting though because i think that i just like reading about people that inspire me and a common thread i've noticed in performers that i admire is that they watch themselves perform and i'm like just the level of strength it takes and courage to sit back and watch a whole recital from start to finish of you performing, like the mistakes, like, you know, what the inner dialogue is all that stuff. Like I'm working on, on improving, I guess that, or I guess I'm working on wanting that feedback more. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still just so hard. Like, ugh, I'd rather For just sure. not watch it. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense <laughs> for what it's worth. You know, I thought it was beautifully done. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, just to be able to see that journey from those early days of exploring to see how much growth has happened to now and oh, to you. hear that you're releasing singles on a major yeah. label. I'm like, yes, I'm here for this. Thank you so much. It's just worth celebrating, and I honestly cannot think of anybody more deserving. Thank you, Grace. Thank you so much. It just brings me so much joy to see the people who inspire me and are going through the whole journey of training to be a classical musician succeed. Nothing makes me happier. Amen. I mean, thank you so much for saying that. That means a lot, especially coming from you. Like, so thank you. I mean, yeah, I know it's kind of a pain point in our industry. It seems like none of us wants each other to win. Yes, there is a lot of that and a lot of like, you know, kind of like pitting people against each other that maybe do similar things. And it's like, wait, why can't There'd be a lot of violinists that cover different genres other than hip hop. Like, why can it only be one, you know? It's like, we're at this, I don't know if you follow, like, you know, female rappers, but at first it was like, there was just Lil' Kim, and then there was just Nicki Minaj, and now there's this explosion of so many, and you don't see, like, they're, they're forming alliances, and they're coming together, and they're doing records together, and I just think that soon we'll have that with, like, the classical instrumentalists who've gone down the crossover lane, like, we'll there would just be more unity. Like right now it just feels a bit, I don't know. 
we're in a scarcity mindset or something that there yeah. can only be so much uh, fame or success to go around. But and that's just not true, right? For no, sure. No, not at all. There's so much room for everybody to be pushing the boundaries of what our instruments can do and mm-hmm. what the genre of classical music can do. You know, yeah. I feel like this is a way in which our industry has really pushed people out and said, this is not for you, which is why your work is so incredibly important and valuable right now. So I want to go ahead and take it way back. Let's start from the beginning. Can we talk about the highlights reel version of your journey? The highlights version. Okay. Um, so meeting Grace at Round Top changed my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's just start there. Like, start with the obvious. Um, so a few years before that, I think... You know, it's interesting because I've just been thinking so much about my story and maybe it's because I've been doing so much press and, you know, it's kind of like similar types of questions. Um, And I kind of had this realization and I guess I'll just tell my backstory because maybe people don't know. Um, So basically I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska, and I grew up in a really, in a predominantly white area. Um, It's just a white, you know, Nebraska. It's like, there's not many minority people. Um, it's a bit of a homogenous experience. Um, my parents are a mixed race. So my mom is, you know, white American, and then my dad's from Guyana, and they both work at the university. So they kind of met through academia. And you know, being I think in a university town is a little bit different than just living in like a country town in Nebraska. So I did have access to more opportunities than some other small towns in Nebraska. Um, But that said, I, growing up playing the violin, um, especially going to like all white schools and being the only black kid in class, the only black kid in orchestra for a long time, that was really hard. And it's interesting because I used to really regret that experience. Like I was like, oh man, how amazing it would have been to have grown up around, you know, other minorities or to be able to, you know, participate in an orchestra, like to be able to go to an all black orchestra and just like these things that exist now, but at the time just weren't around. And in my reflection, I've realized that I wouldn't be who I am without these experiences. Like the fact that I did feel so alone, it shaped me so deeply. Um, And I, I think the violin and specifically the discipline of studying the violin was a huge comfort. Like I I loved the challenge of not being able to do something and then working on it really hard and then getting results. Whereas I feel like in so many areas of, and Grace, maybe you can relate to this, but like in so many areas of just our culture and society as a woman or as a woman of color, it's like you put in all the work, but you don't always get results, right? It's like, you're not always rewarded for the work that you're putting in, or you're always seen as a stereotype or you're always seen as something. And I think for the violin, I just love that if I put in this work, like I'll learn it. I might forget it the next day, but I'll like be able to do it. And I think that just really meant a lot for me. And I just kind of threw myself into the violin. I went to Interlochen when I was 14. And that was a huge moment because it's this really cool arts academy um, in Michigan. And it, I, it just draws a diverse range of students. So I met the first time I met other black and brown string players. And that was huge. Like I called my mom, right? I was like, Oh my God, mom, you won't believe this. Like, this is so awesome. Like I met this woman named Macklin. We're in the same cabin. Like she plays viola. And it was like, so cool. And, um, and they were great players, right? Like I, 
you know, I looked around and like all the kids were playing better than me. And it just kind of made me want to work harder because I was kind of like a big fish in a little pond. And then to suddenly be with these amazing kids and, you know, kids that were all racist from all over the world, like I was blown away. So that was a huge highlight for me. Um, fast forward, I, I did my undergrad at University of Nebraska-Lincoln and I studied pre-medicine and biochemistry first. And then I switched halfway through. And fortunately, the Chiara String Quartet was there and I studied with Hyeon Yoon, who's an incredible violinist. That's actually, I met Jani. We were there at the same time at UNL. And then obviously going to Round Top. And I think just being immersed in, I guess, just the perfection that classical music demands was really a defining moment for me because I loved it, but then I also realized that I could never attain it, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I'm never going to be a perfect violinist. And that used to make me feel really sad, but then I was like, but do I really want to be like, am I like, if we interviewed Hillary Hahn right now, who is in my opinion, a perfect violinist, she's going to yep. be like, I'm not a perfect violinist, right? Like, and I hope <laughs> she's listening and I hope she comes on the show. Um, and so I just kind of realized like, why am I running this hamster wheel of where I'm never going to, I just felt like I was feeling so bad about myself and like, kind of like just having these really tough teachers. And, you know, I was blessed to work with Lori Smuckler, who was a very positive, like really powerful, um, sort of like emotional uh, and very supportive teacher for me. And that was huge. But like everywhere else around me, it was just like this tough world right and it's a pretty toxic space I don't know if you feel that felt that way Grace but I just kind of realized I really wanted to find my voice and find my sound and that's when I started experimenting and I think like the combined pressure of feeling first of all very alone as a person of color but then also feeling like I'm doing art I'm doing something that I love but I'm not truly expressing myself like there's all these false standards that I have to live up to that don't even really mean anything to me. And I just decided, why don't I just write my own music? Like, why don't I write something that means something to me and speaks to me and is my form of perfection, right? Like I am have no interest in being the best violinist in the world because that's to me like boring, but I would much rather be an artist that can be vulnerable and communicative and reach people and inspire people. Like I realized that was the path I wanted to take and I just kind of did this, I decided to change my name. My, my first name is Meredith, I'm by my middle name. Um, I just made this huge radical shift in my perception, in my understanding of who I am as an artist. And I think the big thing was also saying, I'm an artist. I'm not a violinist, I'm an artist. Yeah. Like, and that was such a huge, uh, uh, it probably sounds so mundane to people, but I think when you grow up in the classical world of like, this is what I do, it's like, no, you're a human being first, you're a daughter, you're a sister, you're not a violinist, right? Like that is just one of the ways that you express how you are. And that was a huge sort of awakening for me. And I think it just allowed me to not worry about what anybody was going to say. Like there was a lot of negativity. There were a lot of like one woman left this orchestra I was in because she thought what I was doing was trashy. And like, I just didn't really care. Like I, I think because I had kind of had this transformation in myself, I realized I'm just gonna do this. Like I'm, of course I was afraid, of course I would doubt myself, but um, I sort of decided that I wanted to shed the expectation of all that it means to be a classical musician. 
I hope that answered the question. That was like a long. <laughs> it totally That's did. amazing. Oh. So, where where were you in your development? Like, how old were you when you had this shift? You said, "I'm an artist, and I'm gonna." change my name and I'm going to own that this is what I'm going to do and I'm not going to try to fit in some other box anymore. Um, so I was, I just graduated from my master. So I was 20, um, 23 and I took vocal lessons. I made a whole pop EP of me singing, playing violin. Um, I never released it, but I just, it was just this, process and it was so hard and it was so scary and vulnerable and I think also to use my voice which is something that I'm not confident even to this day doing was it was just kind of like like ripping open my chest and being like this is what like this is me you know take it or leave it and I was in a very serious relationship with actually a Juilliard pianist and the reason why I say that is just because like the mentality in him was so strong and I was just like I you practice like 10 hours a day. I, I don't want, I don't want that life. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I want to live. I want to travel. I want to create. I want to, it just doesn't really interest me. And, um, yeah, so that's how old I was. Um, and then the cool thing was after I made that decision, I just, all these opportunities came and, you know, touring with artists and, you know, clean bandit, which is this UK house band, um, and they produce and they play, like violin and cello and they were so inspirational to me and I remember being in London visiting my aunt and like listening to them on repeat and being like I want to tour with them and next thing I know like I was touring with them and it was just like all of these crazy things were happening I think it was just yeah it's like you know we are powerful and I think manifested I mean 100% like (laughs) I remember when I got like the the DM from Jack he was like hey would you join us I was like like, you're literally like (laughs) everything and so you just all of these things happen and I think it was just because I had chosen myself right like I was like I'm not gonna care what anybody else thinks I'm just gonna do what I need to do and it's interesting because right now in my life I'm at like the same crossroads like Mm -hmm. despite all the amazing things that are that are happening in my life I'm kind of in this place of like okay so what's the next what's next like who am I going to evolve and become you know today so that's kind of an interesting thing that I'm I'm you know just been thinking about a lot lately I love that you were just always evolving and changing and you really embrace the growth process with all of its discomforts and pain points it's a really beautiful thing and I know it's a really scary and vulnerable process and to be able to do that at 23 is just mind-blowing you know just to be able to have that kind of clarity it's just so inspiring You know, I think about how isolating classical music is. We are asked and expected to practice for hours and hours on end in a room by ourselves. Right. And then you have the added layer of being a person of color in an industry where you are not represented and in a field where you don't feel seen. So you don't really have anybody to look to who has done it all successfully, who can help guide you. And here you are saying, I'm going to go ahead and do my own thing. Regardless of what everybody else is saying and doing, I'm going to go ahead and forge my own path and do something different. 
And, you know, it's so beautiful to see that that's been such a freeing experience to be able to find yourself. But I can also only imagine how isolating that must have felt to be out there on your own doing your own thing without feeling like you had like someone to help sort of point you in a direction. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, you, you really hit on some interesting things, Grace, because, um, you know, leaving classical music was very isolating. Like I, cause it's like, Oh, I'm not a producer really. I'm not like a singer. Like I'm, just this violinist doing this thing and and you know there's Lindsey Sterling there were like a lot of electric violinists in New York like on the scene but I wanted it to be more than just like a gigging violinist I really wanted to you know kind of wear the hat of an artist so it, it was really isolating um the cool thing about being in New York though is that I've kind of collected some you know just friends who happen to be black and happen to play string instruments and how much those relationships mean to me and how um, you know, it's, it's, even though there's so much work that needs to be done, it's like, there is some change happening, right? Like, I do think there is more of an awareness in the classical world is trying to be more inclusive and trying to, um, you know, bring in more people. I think the thing is, it's all about opportunity though, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, if you can't have diverse orchestras, if there aren't diverse if there aren't you know if there aren't acts if there isn't access to lessons right Absolutely. um it's really hard to have a black concert master so that's kind of something that, something that interests me a lot is just you know from you know providing more opportunity like to children so that they can in fact learn and like help make classical music more diverse um the other thing is you know i i think also in just like my thinking of classical music lately especially given all of the the like violence towards Asian Americans is, you know, it's interesting because, and I'm sure you can speak to this, Grace, it's just that as a person of color, like a black or brown person in orchestras, you're just one of, you're like the the one, the only one. But then I feel like, and just like in music school, for instance, where there are so many more Asian people performing, it's like not seeing it's like a different type of racism, right? Like not seeing Asian people as individuals, right? It's like, and these little comments and these little, and little things that, you know, like, oh, X all sound the same or like this or that. And it's just kind of, it's interesting because there's really no escaping. It's like just so prevalent and embedded in the systems that we live in. And it's like for classical music to truly grow, it's not just, oh, let's bring in some more black people to play. It's like the whole system has to be totally reimagined and yes i don't know yeah. yes to reimagining i love that because <laughs> that, that's 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 our mo i think we just need to blow the whole thing up and start over right and it's freaking art yes i don't think editing's gonna cut it you know right we can't edit a system that's broken right as far as i'm concerned it is working exactly as it was designed to right yeah yeah. yeah, it's really hard to make little incremental changes within such an established structure or organization like a professional orchestra and see any meaningful change. And, yeah. you know, maybe there are 
more Asian American members of the orchestra, but when you look at people in positions of power, you know, who's on the board right. and who's making the decisions, that's not a diverse group. It's not diverse. Not at all. So it's just like, how do we, how do we do this? You know, and that's kind of like sort of the next phase I'm thinking about. It's just like, how can I, as I'm growing in my career, learning more things, like how can I, dismantle this system of music that I love, right? Like I love classical music so, so, so much. It's my favorite music in the world. And it's like, and I don't even feel like I belong and I've been doing it my whole, like longer than I've, I've been doing it longer than I haven't been doing it. Right. right? So it's just, it's so unfair that this is my music just as much as it is some white guys, yet I feel like I can't belong. So I know that's something that really interests me. I mean, I think it should be interesting to everybody right now. Yeah. What sort of call to action might you have for non-Black musicians and your non-Black colleagues in the industry to make steps towards dismantling these systems that shut people out? Well, I think the first thing um, is like to any educators that might be listening, you know, Let's teach pieces other than Tchaikovsky Concerto for like the 20,000th time. Let's go research some women composers and some, or, you know, a Peruvian composer. Like, let's just find out what else is happening, right? Um, I think that's kind of the first step is just the repertoire that we're learning. Let's make it more diverse and inclusive. And I think there's just as much to learn technically, right? Um, and it can you know, I think that's kind of the first step. I think the second thing is, you know, it's not so much specifically, I, I just think it's more of an inclusive mindset. You know, I, I've noticed among classical musicians that there's this sort of thinking that anything that isn't classical is like less than. Mm -hmm. It's ugh, simple chord progression, ugh, whatever. Like, you know, or you can't read music. Yes. And, it's like the, the craziest thing is like the best musicians I've ever worked with cannot read music. Amen. <laughs> right. It's like this kind of snobbish, elitist way of thinking that's drenched in white patriarchy. And it's like in order to be just a better human and like a less racist human, let's just start thinking of things differently. You know, I, and I think those are some big pet peeves of mine. It's just like, first of all, the, the music that people are teaching. And then secondly, just the way that people think of other genres, other musicians, people maybe with a different skill set. And I've noticed that even among like black people, right? It's not just, you know, who you would expect. Um, and that just goes to show how much, how indoctrinated we are as classical musicians. That, exactly. <laughs> Oof, <laughs> that last part. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though, I mean, Sometimes we have these conversations where we're talking about how do we make classical music relevant? How do we mm -hmm. make this appeal? And I don't know if the issue is really relevance. It's just, it seems like we're pushing people away. You know, when you mm -hmm. only perform music that's written by people that look a certain way. And when you put, uh, you know, what we think of as classical repertoire in one box. Mm -hmm. And then this over here, that's ethnomusicology. This is classical right. music, but this is in this other kind of category where um, it just really sends a strong message. And, you know, I, it's hard to feel bad 
about orchestras dying away or struggling to find audiences when they in a way are are actually the ones pushing people away and turning people away and not making a case for for why you should come and listen right i mean why should they you know like why should a black or brown family pick up the violin when they don't even see themselves represented in their local orchestra that they could go see right yeah they don't feel embraced by it they don't it doesn't feel relevant and even my dad was like why would you want to play the violin like <laughs> you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like yeah. it's so interesting just kind of the messaging and the programming and then john you're right it's like I think another thing is um, just remembering that this is music and it's art and it's meant to be shared and it's meant to be generous. And, you know, I I think the person who could maybe lead this is Yo-Yo Ma, right? Like, even though he is such a, like, a pillar of the classical world, he is so generous. I mean, I was just reading him playing at the vaccine site. It's just like, that's the type of energy we need. It's just, this is it's music. It's not that serious in a way, you know, and I don't know. I just think people need to relax. Amen. It doesn't have to be so stuffy and yeah. so formal. Yeah. I love that you brought up Yo-Yo because I don't understand why he is not the model. I don't know. I mean, he's old now and he's not ancient, but you know, he's been up there and yet he is constantly yeah. evolving as a human constantly. and an artist and i just everyone's like we don't know how to do this in classical music it was like this guy over here has been doing it forever right and also you know he did a collaboration with one of my dear friends Lil buck who's a memphis street dancer like and you're just like hello like if yo-yo ma can do this like what the hell don't you understand about like embracing different people like yeah. i this is the most talented creature on earth and you all like can't figure this out. So you're right, like, been about it for so long, you know? Mm-hmm. And like he's just one of my absolute role models in so many ways. I think that sometimes people think that because I'm not quite as good as Yo-Yo Ma, I can't do those things too. You know, yeah. because I can't play the Dvorak cello concerto like Yo-Yo Ma, I'm not ready for that. I need to keep working at this, but it's not true you can you can be creative and you can become just somebody who takes on more diverse projects and and does more interesting things even if you're not quite as good as yo-yo amen right and it's like if you wait till you're ready then you'll never do anything exactly exactly so who else is an inspiration to you um, so right now I'm really inspired by Dev Hines. Um, he's Blood Orange. That's his artist name. Um, yeah, Grace, you know, it's just, I'm really fascinated by artists that are transforming, that are, you know, it's like they'll check out. Like, and I think also I'm, I'm in this space where social media is something that I'm getting a bit wary of. Um, like I hired somebody to do my posting for me. Like I just kind of like, it's a bit, uh, I think I'm just tired of ingesting so much. Um, so it's interesting, like not being on the platform, it's kind of forced me to research people. And I've kind of just found this handful of artists that I love. Another is Chris Bowers. He's a composer, um, a pianist. There's a lot of work with Ava DuVernay and um, scored Bridgerton, which I love the music for. Um, he's really inspiring to me. Um, 
I'm a big fan of Susan Archives. She's a violinist, um, like just so cool. And I think for me, I just, I feel like I've, I'm just being very honest and something that I'm working through right now. I've, you know, kind of broken out of the classical thing and worked really hard to create this sound. And there are a lot of other artists right now that are also creating a similar sound. So it's not just me by myself. It's like, this is kind of the direction that things are going and and it's awesome. And I'm, it's great, but I feel like I'm kind of locking into a new formula and I don't like how that feels and just kind of wanting to like be bold and just maybe work off the grid. Like let's work not in a strict BPM, not in a verse chorus verse bridge format. Like let's just really shake it up even more. And, um, you know, I, I haven't really been that creative these past few months because I've actually been in school. Um, I'm at Berkeley getting another master's in film scoring, which has been like so intense. Wow. Yeah, it's been like super intense. And I've just been like work working a lot. Um, but just kind of getting some ideas of new projects that I want to do. And, you know, I, I read a lot of interviews that Dev Hines has been in just because I, I just love how he's so honest and real about the fact that this is a really long journey. It's not just like, I'm not just here for a few years. Like I want to be fine without Instagram. Like I, it's, it's truly a journey to become the most true and authentic version of myself that I can in my art. And it's just that something that takes time and checking out and stepping away and taking breaks. And I'm kind of learning that pacing because I've just been on for so many years. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's hard for me because it's, I naturally like to just go, go, go. And I've been really inspired by these artists just because I feel like they have this beautiful balance in the work and also in the space. Right. And I mean, finding your voice as an artist is never like a final destination. No. Right. It's constantly evolving. Constantly. And I just didn't know that. I thought I'd be like, oh, I find the sound and then that'd be it and just make music like that. It's like, no, like I, that's not going to be satisfying. Um, and I'm grateful to feel that way. Um, but it also is, it is just so much easier just to do the formula and just keep it, keep recreating that. But also I think it doesn't lead to happiness or it's just not satisfying. For sure. And, you know, I think that is something that we're kind of fed a lot in conservatory training too, is that yeah. there is a final de destination. You will have made it if you got that 10 year track orchestra job or that 10 year track professorship and that's it. You've done all the things. There's no more to life. Right. And it's interesting because my, when I was at, at um, the new school at Manus, my teacher at the time, Lori Smuckler, she was learning Brahms. She was learning Brahms concerto and, you know, she's like probably was in her fifties or something. And, and she was telling me, she was like, yeah, like, you know, in classical music, it's like, if you haven't learned everything by the time you're 24, like, you're never going to learn the pieces. And she's <laughs> like, yeah, I learned Brahms when I was like in my late thirties or whenever it was, I don't want to misquote her or anything, but that was just so inspiring that she's still working and pushing and growing. And even I, I work now with Rebecca Fisher of the Chiara String Quartet. And you know, she was like, Meredith, I restructured my whole hand position. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, yeah. I have no interest in reconstructing my hand position, but the fact that you're <laughs> still like, like you can't, like you're want to keep growing even though you've made it, right? You know, so I just find the kinds of people so inspiring.
How can we instill that kind of mindset into the next generation of musicians and artists? Like, how can educators do this? How can artists highlight this as being a really valuable lesson and skill to learn? You know, I I think it's just curiosity. And I think the way that we are taught the instrument is with no curiosity. Like, there's no thinking required. It's just, you go and you hear a, a prodigy playing Chacon, and it's, amazing it's so perfectly phrased but who made those decisions right like I I just feel and I have nothing but love for my teachers um but I just felt felt like that was missing there was very little asked of me to think and I think as educators the best thing we can do is to trust our students like just trust that they're smart enough to make a decision and maybe it's wrong but like let them make the decision and and figure it out for themselves. And I think that approach to people just asking questions is going to totally change the trajectory of all of classical music. Because I think many people will say, do I really want to be in an orchestra? Like, is that really what I want? Um, Do I really want to be a professor? Do I really, you know, and I think that's just going to be a way to keep things fresh for a lot of people. And I think also bring much more intention into the craft i mean it's really tough because we have this idea ingrained in our heads that we can't ask questions because of tradition Mm -hmm. we can't be curious we can't ask for a further explanation yeah and i feel real bad for the kids who are graduating now because they leave these institutions and are all of a sudden like, oh shit, I have to think for myself for the first time ever. I don't know how to do that. You know, curiosity is so important. We should not be only fostering that with young kids, but really fostering that through conservatory training because those are very formative years for musicians. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and even like, like, why did this person write this piece? Like, why, even questions like that that I just never bothered to ask myself. Um, And of course, one could say, well, I should just be a more curious person, and I'm working on that. Um, But I do think there are some industries where it's a part of it. Yeah. You know, in the arts, like, I think you have to be curious, right? Or and with classical music, however, there was just not, we didn't get the memo. So <laughs> that's one thing I would really like to see. How did we not get the memo? I think that's where I'm really scratching my head. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> I think you're right, though. We definitely did not get the memo. We did. That it's okay to be curious and to ask questions um Mm -hmm. i mean i know that's something that i was always shamed for in my education i was told i asked too many questions i think people took it as me being obnoxious or trying to like challenge a teacher but i was like no i just am curious i just wanted to know the answer (laughs) yeah and that should be celebrated exactly so for all you educators out there listening (laughs) Do what you can to foster curiosity because I do think this is another way in which our industry is shutting people out. We're telling folks here that if you can't just shut up and take an answer, this is not for you. Yeah. If you just can't sit down and be quiet for 36 minutes, then this isn't for you, right? Oi. Like, why can't people, like, 
clap. I think it's always, I love it when people clap after a movie. I'm like, I would be clapping after like, you know, after, I don't know, hearing a Bach fugue. I'd be clapping like that. Me too. Which is hard. Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of the beautiful thing now about, this is like the one thing I'm actually kind of happy about in pandemic times is that now I can send my kids to like our Berlin digital concert hall subscription or like our seattle symphony subscription be like hey my friend literally just played the four seasons with seattle symphony log into my account and go watch it and that's so awesome and they can just enjoy it in their homes if they want to clap in the middle of the movement they can and then you know maybe in a non-pandemic time they can go enjoy it in person maybe they'll feel more inspired Um, definitely like there is something about zoom that makes live music more accessible in a way like mm-hmm. as weird as that sounds um because i also know some people who have just like shut down completely but um that is really interesting right i know from a performer like from a performance aspect playing to a camera not nearly as exciting not as it playing no. to a hall but you know it does make me happy to know that we are able to make classical music a lot more accessible in this way mm-hmm. where all of a sudden Definitely. people don't have to drive across town to and pay a ridiculously high ticket price yeah to get in um arrange child care or whatever that now we are making things easier yeah and more welcoming just, yeah the whole family can just watch on one screen it's so cool yeah well, can you take a second to tell us all about your new projects that you've been working on? You know, we've been playing Ode to Hustle in our house. We love it. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, I've just been kind of releasing singles. I have an EP coming out in May um, called Classical Bay, which is my internet name. And um, yeah, like these, all of these, it's four singles and all of them basically just take really iconic classical melodies and kind of reimagine them or play with them. And, you know, it was, it was really fun. I worked with this producer named Brandon Korn, um, who, you know, added his amazing touch with like, you know, some of the beats and just, you know, giving it a really modern sound. And it's interesting because it took me so long to kind of figure out this sound. Um, I wanted it to be something that felt truly in the middle. Like I wanted it to be virtuosic and, and you know, feel concerto-esque at times. Yet I also wanted it to be playful and, and um, have some swag. So it was something that I am really, really proud of. You know, the funny thing about releasing music, though, is it's, you know, you I wrote it like last year, right? And mm-hmm. it's like whenever it, when it comes out, you're like, whoa, like I feel like I've evolved so much since then. Um, and that's one thing that I, I'm enjoying kind of listening. I'm like, wow, this is, this is so great. I can't wait for people to hear what's next. Um, so that's been really, really fun. And the feedback's been, been amazing. And, um, yeah, I'm just so grateful and like, I'm like, wait, I'm on Spotify. Like, it's just so (laughs) weird. Like I still don't believe it. Um, so yeah, that's been amazing. And I think in terms of what's next, I'm, you know, I did some, I did a commercial for LG, which was so empowering and awesome. And I'm going to be doing another national commercial. So like doing my scoring stuff. And then I'm also partnering with an art auction house in New York city. And like, I'll be scoring some paintings 
which is something Whoa. I'm very excited for because it's, yeah, like some amazing, amazing art pieces. And I think just to really be bold in my expression and do something so different, like that's just, I can't wait to to work on it. I, it's I'm still in the stage of like, you know, if you have a big block of marble and you have like the chisel and the hammer and you're like not yet sure where to begin chipping. So I'm just like mm-hmm. still walking around the marble, like touching the marble, like taking pictures of the marble. I'm still haven't yet gotten into it, but I'm, <laughs> yeah, like, but I'm really so excited for that. And um, I don't just thinking of like wild things. Like I want to write a violin concerto. Like I, I just like thinking of things that I feel so bold and I think dangerous is probably not the word that most people would think of for a violin concerto, but it feels so risky. Like I love the it. work and the craft and yeah. And I, and I also just think as a woman of color, it's like, I really want to create a more classical piece of music that is with my ancestry and my story in mind. And I think, I don't know. I just, it's just, Yeah. I, that's kind of what that's I've been so exciting. working on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. I think hearing you talk about all this, it what what really sticks with me is how f- fearless you come across, and at least the way the the way the impression comes off is, you know, I think a lot of people have this filter, and they're like, "Well, is that my lane, or is that what I should do? Is it okay if I do that? Am I allowed to do this?" It doesn't seem like you really care. You just go and do the stuff you want to do, and it's amazing. And yeah. it just it just comes off as very <clears throat> empowered and very brave. Like you're not waiting for you. permission or someone to tell you you should. You're just going and doing the stuff you want to do. Well, that's the thing. Just like not asking for permission anymore. Yeah. You're- and that's like that's a that's so interesting because i think that's what we're sort of told in our training is that we have to ask for permission to enter the next stage whatever that is is. and to (laughs) you know to to be able to say i'm not going to ask permission i'm going to take up as much space as i feel like taking up because i I, who who's to say that I can't? Right. That's so scary. It's and so scary to see you do it. Is so beautiful. Well, thank you. And and you know, you know, to both of you and to John, to what you just said, it's like I'm glad it comes across that way. I will say there are a lot of times where I'm like, and I know this is a podcast, and so nobody knows the face I'm making, but it's one of like, <laughs> oh my god, what am I gonna do? I can't do this. Like. <laughs> I'm like, you know, like I keep thinking I live in this scarce world where I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not, and those moments happen, right? They, I think it's just only human to have those sort of questions and doubts. And that I sort of like, I touch my heart and I touch touch my neck because I get tense. And I'm just like, relax, like, breathe. (laughs) You got this. Like, you got this. And I, and that's when I really just sort of, have to ask myself what is my self-concept at the moment and that's something I've been thinking about so much is your self-concept like if you just if you think you deserve a Grammy you'll, you'll get a Grammy and I just I think when I was little I had such a powerful bold self-concept and then in the classical like upbringing it kind of got whittled away 
And, you know, next thing I know I'm performing and like, you know, oh, you missed that or that tone wasn't good enough. Like I'm being really critical of myself. And I've sort of, I've just been working these past, you know, few years. I'm really building it up because, you know, you guys are right. It's like for where you want to go, you cannot have, you can have fear. It's allowed to be fearful and it's, you should honor the fear, but it can't stop you or be a hindrance. And um, it's a really tough industry and it's hard and it's hard to make a living on it. And it's like all of these things. And yet somehow I just think that the self-trust and showing up for yourself time and time and time again is what gives me the courage. That's so beautiful. And I, you know, when you were talking about how you felt like parts of your training kind of made you lose part, you know, like your self-concept, that's so heartbreaking. And I know that that's what a lot of people feel. How can we, how can we make that stop? So I think one thing is, and, and I talk about teachers so much just because, you know, I think with classical music, we start so young that it's like, I think mm-hmm. the teachers you work with make, make, makes a huge difference. Um, you know, I chose to study with the teachers that I worked with because they never bashed myself concept. I've worked with a lot of teachers at festivals and master classes where I would walk out in tears, like devastated, like, sweetheart, this isn't for you. I'm sorry. Like saying things like that. You're like, what the hell? Like I'm 15. I'm traveled all the way to, to how do you say that to me? Like, what the heck? And I think sort of those experiences, you know, again, I would never wish them away because it's made me who I am and it's made me seek the type of coaches and mentors in my life. And the common thread among all these people, even though they're in different disciplines, is that they believe in me. And I think when we you are in a world as competitive and as, you know, tough as classical music, being with people, focusing more on the the psychology of who you're working with rather than it's at this school or that like I've just seen so many people go to the best schools in quotes and be ruined because you can only take so much chipping away of your sense of self and your sense of worth and you know I have friends who are freaking badass violinists in their secretary like I'm like what the hell like all that says is that what's happened in here, it's not about, you know, the skill set of your fingers and, and your bow arm. It's, it's something happened psych- psychologically that caused you not to believe in yourself anymore. And I've just seen it happen so often that I think to anybody listening to this, anybody who wants to pursue a career as a classical musician, make sure you have a squad of teachers and friends and, you know, mentors that really believe in you and, in addition, and before any of that can happen, believe in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe you're a little bit sharp when you're on the Eastern and doing vibrato. Like, it's okay, honey. <laughs> Work on it, but don't let that, like, break you down. You know, I, I just, I've seen it happen so much. And just my friends who are incredible players hearing their stories, it's like, oof, it's, it's tough. Like, people kill themselves in music school. And it's, it's a real thing. And I just think we don't want to talk about mental health in the classical space. Like, you know, in other 
genres of music, people talk about mental health, but when it comes to classical, it's like not a topic ever. And I just know firsthand so many of the issues that people face. And um, it breaks my heart because it's hard to contribute when you're suffering in that way. Right. So. For sure. And I think the, you know, there's another layer too. It's just, uh, you know, at least in Asian culture, mental health is also very much a hush-hush topic. We don't talk about it. A lot Mm -hmm. of things are internalized. And so, um, you know, there's another layer telling you to internalize all of those really negative feelings and just like let them sit here with no way out. Yeah. And it's so interesting, Grace, because I remember the first time I did like a non-classical gig. Um, It was for this EDM group, like just some New York EDM group. I took out my violin and I started playing and they were like, like they were just shocked. Like they were like, oh my God, you're so good. I'm like, like, people just don't say that in classical, right? Right. It's always like, you you know, something, right? And, you know, just going to studios and and then working with like top, like the top, people ever and they're just like wow (laughs) you're just like shocked because that's just not what you're told ever and even if you are like it's just no matter how good you are it's just that's never the response it's always let's do let's fix this let's and it's it's amazing because I think in in some way it really keeps you humble Mm -hmm. um and it's that's I guess the silver lining of it but then also but can't we also just celebrate something being awesome? Yes. And for sure. Right. That just reminded me of a story. I remember being in a recording studio with Grace once when we were oh, yeah. playing string <laughs> tracks. Like for, um, like four years ago or something. Like that. Yeah, for That's a band so called fun. Mondo Cosmo and we were in um the the recording engineer was Jim Eno of Spoon. And wow. we were playing uh we, we I think we recorded two tracks. One of one of um Mono Cosmos originals mm-hmm. and then a cover of um what song was it Grace? Bittersweet, Bittersweet Symphony. Ah! And every time Grace played the scale, <laughs> it was like a celebration in the room. It was like she did it. She played the scale. It's like everyone just lost their shit. But but it was cool cuz it sounded great and with everything else it sounded amazing and why not celebrate that Grace played a major scale. I played a. What was it? It was an E major scale starting an on a e major B scale. and one octave. I nailed it every single time. Yes, yeah, every time they were just like floored by the by the consistency. <laughs> the consistency, the accuracy, and then it's it's funny because it's like in those moments you're just like, man, this is how music should be. Like, yeah, should it should be a celebration. When we hear a freaking scale that makes us happy, like <laughs> absolutely. Why? Where did that get lost? And um. It's just so, it's just crazy. You know, I, I just think from my experience in the pop world, and it sounds like you guys have some, you know, have had similar experiences. It's just, I'm always reminded of how fun it should be and how, like, good it should make people feel. And that's yeah. what I love For about sure. Yo-Yo Ma, is that is his whole, like, MO. It's just like, this is about sharing joy. Definitely. And, For sure. And, you know... People still do this to an insanely high level. There is right. still so much precision and, you know, nitpicking that happens 
in a lot of these productions. I mean, you you did Coachella with Beyonce, and I can only imagine the amount of work that was to put that whole entire production together. Just how much detail went into that. Yeah, and it's it's you know there's going to be any high level thing is going to have a lot of nitpicking and detail and you want as close to perfection as possible. And that's, what's so exciting. It's just like, you know, anywhere you go where you're working with the best, you got to bring your best. Right. And I, I absolutely love that because that's, I, I love perfection too. Even despite all that I just said, it's like, I want things to be as perfect and authentic to me as possible. And in the best way that I can deliver it, um, and it's just the level of detail and accuracy and precision that Beyonce would demand at all times was, I was like, am I back in, am I back in conservatory or like, but <laughs> she's really cool and like slides and serves. So that was so inspiring to see sort of like the other side of precision, but in a pop world and it was interesting because you know she was with us as we were writing it and um, we began writing for Coachella mm-hmm. in October of the year before wow yeah it was so crazy and the thing that was so cool to me about like the best thing to me about that experience was the way that she constantly thinks of her fans so she's like I want them to feel this okay so we write something so they feel that and it's it's amazing because I think in classical music, it's more of an inward reflection. It's like, how does this make me feel? How does this make, rather than I want them to feel this, or at least that's kind of how I've always thought of it. And maybe for other people, it's different. And I just, I thought, wow, that's how I want to treat my music. I want people to feel empowered. I want people to feel uplifted or, and I know those are just kind of like big character words, but even like within phrases and within, um, string techniques it's like oh, I want people to feel like this is a little like country like not country but a little like you know in the south or so you know like little things like that and that yeah. kind of influenced the way that I would inflect in my writing process and I just had never seen an artist or anyone for that matter care so much about making her like making the fans feel and it sort of just stuck with me that's so beautiful and I mean I think you are onto something there because I think about the number of times I've sat in a master class and someone has asked me, how does this make you feel? And I was just like, I don't think it matters how this makes me feel. Yeah. Shouldn't we be asking how I'm supposed to make you feel or like yeah. somebody else that's sitting in this room? Yeah. And it's like, of course, to convey emotions to a listener, you have to be in touch with how you feel. But I think with mm-hmm. my experience in classical is that there can be a bit of a disconnect from like getting the emotion that you feel to truly be an experience, right? And one thing I I do envision for the classical space is that performances can be more experiential and they can be something where it's not just, it can be just a violinist performing Isai solo, like nobody else there. But then I think to also have like lighting and like different backdrops and outfit changes, you know, it's like, how would that change the performance? But then again, with the way that you approach classical, it's not about the performer, it's about the music, right? So I think that's Mm -hmm. perhaps why that isn't how things are done. Um, But I do think that would be really cool. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd totally be here for that performance. That'd be so amazing, right? It would be such an incredible thing to experience. And that's what I think about anytime I'm going to a live music event, a show. I'm there for the experience. Yeah. And even when I go see a great symphony play, I'm there for the experience to see those people. Yeah, and everybody in the audience is there for the experience, yet we never think of the experience we're giving. But in every other genre of music, that's the folk like that's the focus. That's wild. Like how did we get here? <laughs> <laughs> a lack of a lack of curiosity. Yeah. Well, this is such amazing food for thought. I think this is I don't know about you, Grace, but this has turned my brain around with the way we think about the future of of live performance of classical music there's there's so much to chew on here and we've been so lucky to get to catch up with you and get to chat well, thanks, now Mary. we have a we have a few um final questions for you we'll go sort of rapid fire here at the end and we ask them to everyone we talk to so you've given us so much great insight and advice but we're curious to know what's the worst advice you have ever received oh okay rapid fire right um i think some of the worst advice i've ever received is to have a backup plan No backup plans. Like you're like you're really all in. Plan. Like, yeah, but also maybe that's me and maybe that's bad advice to anybody else. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Next uh, question. Love it. One thing we're always curious about too is sort of what people are, are pondering themselves right now. Do you have any uh, books you've been reading lately or music you've been into? I know you dropped the name of some musical inspirations, but what are you into like this week? Oh, um, so this week I have been, have you ever seen the movie Atonement? No, no. I have not. I, I've heard. It's amazing with Kira Knightley and James McAvoy, I believe. Um, and it's just, I've been really obsessed with that movie because one, I love the composer, Dario Marianelli. And then two, it's just like shame. It's all about shame. And what happens when we're shamed and it ruins life and so that's something i've been like very obsessed with um i think with pandemic the cool thing is i've been watching more movies um so yeah nice nice all right well let's wrap it up with letting people know where they can connect with you where should they stay tuned for this album coming out in may or see what else you have on the horizon <laughs> so I'm on all platforms. Just you know, my name Easy I N M A Azima on all platforms. Um, I'm also on social media. I'm on Twitter. Um, you know, my email is you know I'm my email is up there, so it connects you know to me and my team, and we are pretty responsive. So yeah, I love connecting with people. It's the best part of this all, honestly, and hearing how people are impacted by what I do. So amazing this has been such a treat to be able to reconnect with you since you've always been one of my favorite humans on the planet so it's really really great to 
catch up and we're just so excited to see what's next on the horizon for you thank you guys it's been amazing that was azima on musical therapy her ep is dropping on friday may 14th so be sure to go listen to it you can connect with her on her social channels at azima e-z-i-n-m-a thanks again for listening to musical therapy if you like what you heard give us a follow and a subscribe you can also connect with us on instagram at